Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome Deborah Bowman to the podcast. Deborah is a core faculty member of the Graduate School of Counseling and Psychology, teaching in the clinical mental health counseling and mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling programs. It is such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, David. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself a bit further? Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I've been at Naropa 28 years. Oh, wow. And I've been working as a psychologist. This is my 30th year. So um, I gave a TED Talk uh, several years ago. You can look me up on YouTube. It's really fun. And I gave that talk on falling into grace about a climbing accident I had Mm. in 1979. Oh, wow. And how I... Barely lived, but saved my life through awareness, you might say. Interesting. So, let's see. I've also written a few books. Mm. Uh, One on the female Buddha, Discovering the Heart of Liberation and Love. And it's a combination of photographs and inspirational quotes and commentary. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book on Luminous Buddha, same kind of book. And then I also did one on uh, When Your Spouse Comes Out, Mm. a straight guide, the straight mate's recovery manual. It's a way Mm. to be compassionate towards your gay partner, yourself, and your family. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and you're also the founder of the psychology program and the wilderness therapy program? Well, I'm the founder of the transpersonal counseling psychology Mm -hmm. program. I initiated the art therapy program and I developed the wilderness therapy program. Yeah. You're just, you're just doing everything, aren't you? Well, oh, and I also help (laughs) initiate the counseling center that I think you're going to be talking to Joy Redstone about. Yeah. Tomorrow actually. Yes. Well, wonderful. What are we going to be speaking about today? Okay. Today I'm going to talk about Gestalt awareness practice healing in the here and now. So I'd like to begin by saying I'm going to discuss about it and then offer a little sort of experiential opportunity, a little guided gestalt practice. So if you're listening in, I invite you to find a space in your car, at home, where you're alone, where you can speak out loud Mm. without anybody thinking you're crazy. (laughs) And so while you're getting yourself settled, I'll start the lecture portion of this. Gestalt therapy is a methodology that can be used by counselors, uh, psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists. You can use it for therapy or you can use it for growth. So that's why I like to call it Gestalt Awareness Practice. Mm, Interesting. Because it's a way of working in the here and now for healing our growth. So I'm going to share a little background first about the influences on the person that developed Gestalt. Now, Gestalt, the word, is a German word 
that is not quite translatable. It means the whole or something even greater than the whole. It's something that the idea which is that we're whole with everything and that our goal is to be whole within ourself, not divided, not split. So the major influences on the person that developed this, Fritz Perls, were first Freud. He was in that period of history with Freud in the early 1920s. And he was analyzed by Karen Horney. And he drew a lot from Freud, but then split from him because he felt like mm. people were talking about things. And mm. he wanted to experience the person in the moment yeah. and have them notice how they interrupt themselves in huh. the moment. And so if you yeah. catch it then, there's the best opportunity to change. Yeah. So say somebody's talking about their parents uh -huh. and they're upset and they start biting their lip or making mm -hmm. a fist. He wants them to draw attention to that and notice what's the feeling there in the moment as you're sharing this. So he was very interested in, of course, that psychodynamic approach. And psychodynamic, when you think of the word, it's the psyche. Our inner world is a dynamic process of all these parts coming forward, stepping back, disagreeing with one another. Mm -hmm. And so he drew from Freud some of the, mm -hmm. what were he, Freud called defenses. He called them contact disturbances. Interesting. Like I might interject a message from one of my parents, my mom, my dad, or a grandparent, or sister and brother, and it might be, you know, I'm stupid. I mean, so if I interject that, that voice is now in my head. Mm -hmm. So when I do things, that little voice pops up, oh, that was stupid. So mm. he said, you know, let's catch that in the moment. Like yeah. you say something that's kind of smart, and then you, you know, say, oh, well, I didn't really mean that. So he yeah. said, look, you're contradicting yourself. So, so mm. to have a dialogue, an internal dialogue between these interjected parts, which are now your voice. Yeah. They're no longer mom or dad's. Yeah. So the idea is to you know, catch those in the moment and then say, hey, is that my voice or is it somebody else's? And do I want that? Is that the language how I want to speak to myself? So we might interject it, we might project it onto somebody else. So, you know, I might imagine you're like my dad yeah. because you're a man. Mm -hmm. So I might be afraid of you or I might worship you, but, you know, who you are would be no reason for me to do those things, actually. Yeah. Okay. Or the other thing I might do is turn it back on myself. Mm -hmm. So if I say that, I'm stupid to myself and I keep saying it. It's like beating myself up. And we call that a retroflexion. Yeah. So think of these things. The interjection, you smile. The projection, you put on someone else. And the retroflexion, you take that message, then you repeat it and repeat it till it's like you're beating yourself up. So he was very interested in these internal dialogues and mm. sort of interrupting them and catching them and that's the best opportunity for change. He was also highly influenced by the existentialist in that period of time, and particularly Martin Buber, who was a Jewish existentialist who looked at something called the I-thou relationship. Mm. And he named it that because <clears throat> the other he named it as sacred. 
and not an object to be worked with because he countered that with what's called the I-it relationship. Yeah. So the I-it is when you're something that I get something from. Like I go to get groceries and I'm going through the line mm-hmm. and I want that person to hurry because their only job is to help me. Well, that's not treating that person as a person, right? Yeah. They're an object. Yeah. So it's a way we could treat our spouses, our children, to give us the goods we want. Then they're an it. Yeah. But if we treat them as a thou, it's a sacred relationship and the other person is a mystery. Mm-hmm. And we want to make contact with that. And yeah. it's you know, enlivening experience. And when we make contact, then we actually change. We're not the same when we make good contact. So that's one of the things we got from Buber. And from existentialism, we also got a very strong flavor that got incorporated into the gestalt of Mm self-responsibility. So when I talked earlier about interjecting the father, Mm -hmm. Then we don't go around blaming dad, you know, because of dad, I'm this way. No, I've taken on his voice. Yeah. And now I'm an adult and I'm doing it to myself. Now, when we work with a child, they are still working with that interject in a way that's still very alive. So, you know, we're not asking the child to take responsibility for that, but we are asking the adult to take responsibility for that. Yeah. And it's not to be harsh, but it's the only way we can change is if we're responsible for our own internal dialogue. So at the other time in history, in those early 1900s, Reich, Wilhelm Reich was very influential. He was also Mm. a student of Freud, but also broke away from Freud because he said the body Look what's happening in the body. And so Pearls was also analyzed by Reich and did Mm. a lot of the Reichian body sort of exercises to learn how is my body holding these defenses, holding these retroflexions. And think of the retroflexion when we tighten our shoulders, when we're angry, but we Mm -hmm. hold it in. And then over years, we've got these tightened shoulders. And of course, they hurt. But that's like a retroflexion. So it's sort of like it's how the body has incorporated these patterns of ways to kind of protect ourselves or to hold ourselves. And he called that body armoring. And so Pearls worked a lot in the Gestalt model with that body armoring. Okay. So the other thing that was going on in the 1920s was Gestalt psychology, which is different than Gestalt therapy or Gestalt awareness practice. Okay. Gestalt psychology was sort of a perceptual, theoretical psychology okay. where we looked at perception. Mm-hmm. And you know that vase where it's a face or a vase and you look at them. It's sort of a psychological <clears throat> test. Like, yeah, what it's do like you the see? candlestick that's two people facing each other. Is that what you're talking about? There you go. It's like how you perceive the photo because there's multiple photos in it. Exactly. So Pearls was very interested in this. So incorporated, you know, how we perceive things Mm -hmm. may not be how other people perceive things. So there's a variability there. Uh So he was very interested in that. And so perceptions, Gestalt psychology also took that name of Gestalt because it reflected the whole. It's not this perception, it's not that perception. There's actually something else there. So the fifth 
area of influence on Gestalt, and the one that has had probably the most impact on Gestalt in the later years was Zen Buddhism. Yeah. So Pearl's practice, sitting on cushion, mm -hmm. and probably Gestalt awareness came from this strong emphasis on the here and now, mm. being present. Yeah. So he incorporated the body methodology to bring somebody back in the present by reminding them to breathe. Yeah. Reminding them to have body awareness, mm. to shuttle your intention, your attention from inside to notice what's going on here, mm -hmm. shuttle it what's going on out there. Yeah. So that's sort of like a relational awareness practice where you're not just hanging out in my body. This is what I feel. This is what I think. Yeah. But I'm noticing over there your facial expressions, mm -hmm. your body language, your voice tone. And I'm trying to, you know, notice what that might mean, whether you're listening yeah. to me or not listening <laughs> to me, those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. So this sort of attention to minute detail as well. Mm -hmm. So you're not missing things. Yeah. So Pearls took a few other things from Zen. You might say he used the Zen stick. <laughs> so there, you know, if you're not familiar with Zen, <clears throat> that sometimes the master would take a well-shaped wooden stick. Mm -hmm. And if you were falling asleep on the cushion, he might give you a, a good tap yeah. on the shoulder. Yeah. So that was sort of <laughs> Pearl's style. Like it was like, wake up, wake up. Yeah. So Here that comes was awareness. Exactly. <laughs> so he would sort of like, oh, look, you're not paying attention now. Mm -hmm. Look, you're not integrated. Mm -hmm. Look, you're biting your lip. Look, you're, you're saying you're sad and you're smiling. Yeah. Look, you're saying you're not angry huh. and you're making a fist and you're sort of beating your hand into your other hand. So he was sort of like, notice, notice what's going on. Yeah. So we have those five influences, mm -hmm. but then Gestalt is often put on the humanistic psychology spectrum. Okay. And the humanistic psychology, you think about Carl Rogers and you think about that it's a relationship between you and me. It's not, we try to sort of shrink that hierarchy that I'm mm -hmm. not above you, I'm not a clinician trying to figure out what's wrong with you and then I'm gonna fix you. Yeah. I'm a human and I'm in relationship. Well, that was yeah. part of the methodology. But a man named Claudio Naranjo, who was a student of Pearl's, mm -hmm. looked at its transpersonal dimensions. Mm -hmm. And what he saw was that the practice of Gestalt awareness was like an interpersonal meditation. Ooh. So what's so cool about that, yeah. it's instead of in your own mind, like when we sit on the cushion, we try to come back to the present. Yeah. We try to notice our breath. Uh -huh. We try to notice, oh, my mind's been wandering, thinking about this, and so now I'm coming back yeah. and I'm going to work it, not judging that, and just coming back. And How long was breathing. I gone for? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's a long time, yeah, right? Totally. Okay. But we're not judging that. Yeah. And so what Naranjo devised, he devised a methodology that sort of built on Pearl's practice of the awareness continuum. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're sitting with another person, and it's like the facilitator, the Gestalt therapist, the Gestalt awareness practitioner, mm -hmm is reminding you to come back to the here and now. Yeah. Okay. So they might say things like, breathe. Mm. Yeah. Or they might say, I notice 
you're telling me this story about your dad. What are you aware of in your body? Tell me yeah. what you're aware of now. Yeah. So to keep, because there's nothing wrong with relaying what has happened to you as a child or as an adult or a trauma. Mm -hmm. It's not to judge that, but it's to allow somebody to be aware of what's going on even as they're speaking, what they're feeling, you know, what emotions are arising. So the facilitator acts like the neutral mind, mm. the neutral part of the mind that just say, hey, what's going on now? Yeah. Tell me what's going on now. And you might often use that word now a lot. Tell me now what you're aware of. Yeah. Also, the facilitator is looking at more of the how of what's going on instead of the sort of storyline. Mm. So they're noticing how the body is moving, how the voice cracks when somebody says something, how they look away when they talk about something that was painful mm. or shameful. So when somebody does that, the facilitator might say, I noticed you just looked away when you said something about your father. Would you be willing to look away and tell me what you're aware of? Yeah. And it's, it could be very profound what can come up because it's an opportunity to pause and notice, oh, I didn't want you to see my face. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I didn't want you to look into my eyes at that moment. Yeah. So that's where we get to sort of the meaty part, the, the feelings that are associated with an experience. Yeah. Okay, huh. so we're also looking for body incongruencies. I brought up before that thing where somebody, and this I've often experienced as working as a psychologist, doing gestalt awareness practice. Somebody tells me something sad like, you know, they lost their pet, their family pet, mm -hmm. and they smile. And you know that they're not feeling happy about that. But they're yeah. either trying to please me because they don't want to burden me with the feeling of their sadness. Yeah. Are they trying to neutralize it because touching feelings, you know, they might have been shamed for doing that as a kid. Mm -hmm. So in the therapy office, you're trying to, you know, help them touch those feelings because you want to create a safe space. So you might say, I noticed when you told me about how you lost your dog when you were a child that that you smiled. Yeah. And what I might do even is say, would you be willing to tell me again mm. without smiling? So what we're asking for is authenticity and congruency in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Okay. So wow. it may seem confrontive, but it is confronting and incongruency. And we try to do it with warmth and compassion, mm -hmm. but it's still you know, interrupting their interruptions because they were interrupting their sadness by the smile. Yeah. And then I'm trying to interrupt that process so they can actually go deeper and experience something that maybe wasn't safe to experience. Maybe, you know, it wasn't safe to talk about sadness because so many sad things happen in their family that mm -hmm. they all learn to just be cool. Yeah. So you notice there's many things we can do in terms of 
working with the body and the mind in this process. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much you can do. It you got me thinking so many different things right now. It's pretty amazing. And what it sounds like is you invite the nowness by introducing how you are aware in the moment. So when someone is telling you a story that is kind of sad and they're they're smiling or they are looking away, they're kind of not wanting to present you with that and they're, they're they're hiding it from you but you know you're trained and skilled enough to want to go there to know that the, there is a trauma there there is something to be looked at so it's very interesting to kind of like see that absolutely yeah. absolutely it's not like people are intentionally hiding these are sort of yeah. reflexes that we do that are habitual old mm. patterns and habitual yeah. old patterns aren't easy to change that's why catching in the moment is so much more powerful than listening on and on yeah. to someone's story and you know not getting to the the heart of the problem and that might be the first time they're ever presented with like hold on let's let's backtrack let's let's actually look at this let's unpack this what's going on why are you flexing your hands and why are you looking away right so that's probably like the first time they're invited to actually look at what they're doing or not noticing what they're doing Mm -hmm. to uncover something that they didn't know was there essentially absolutely and it's you know people stop themselves from crying but if you watch the body close enough you can see all those muscles tense in someone's face yeah and you might just say, I notice all this tension in your eyes, or I notice you're blinking yeah. a lot. Would you be t- willing to notice what you're feeling in your eyes in this yeah. moment? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's also interesting to think that how our emotional well-being can show up in a physical sense. How holding emotion and not expressing it, not letting it out, it physically shows up as pain. Absolutely. Martha Graham, you know, the famous mother of modern dance, had this saying, you know, the body doesn't lie. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it doesn't. It it the truth is all there. Yeah. If it gets sick, it's gonna let you know. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to move on to your practice. Oh, absolutely. What would you like to share with us? Well, it's a it's a short experiment. Okay. And it's with both breath and with sound. Okay. And so if there's any time you feel uncomfortable, you want to stop, just listen. You can say, oh, I might do this later. Or, um, but it's very simple. So we'll take, what, about five minutes or so? Is that what we have here? Five, seven minutes? Yeah, we can do five minutes. Okay. So first, I'm just going to invite you to breathe. Okay. Okay, so notice your breathing. And then as you're breathing... I'm going to invite you now to just notice what else you're aware of. It could be the sound of my voice. It could be traffic. It could be the drone of your heater or air conditioner. It could be a sensation in your body. It could be a thought. Just notice. Okay. So let that go and breathe again. This time I'm going to invite you to notice your breath. A thought may come up, just notice that at the same time. Is your breath shallow? Is it deep? Is it fast? Is it slow? Just notice. Okay, and let that go and keep breathing. Rest 
briefly. And now, notice what's going on in your body. Are there any tensions? Any tightness? Breathe. Let that go. Okay. Now, I'm going to invite you, those of you out there listening to the podcast, as you exhale, I'm going to invite you to make a noise as you exhale. Whatever noise arises, it could be a sigh, it could be a breath, it could be a growl, but as you exhale, make that noise. Okay, now I'm going to invite you to repeat that noise one more time. Just repeat it, just like you made it the first time. Okay, good. Now, I'm going to ask you when you breathe out the next time I invite you to exaggerate that noise. And you can exaggerate it in two ways, and you can choose. You can choose to make that noise louder, or you can exaggerate it by exaggerating it by making it softer, okay? So here we go. One, two, three, breathe out, make a noise. Good. Okay. So one more time, I'm gonna invite you to exaggerate it again, either louder or softer. Good, okay. So now I'm going to ask you a few questions for you to just notice in your mind. What did you notice about the sound? Was it rough, smooth, shaky, vibrant, muted, dull, choked off, exuberant, hesitant, pleading, exuberant? Just notice, no judgment. Okay, now breathe and let that go. Okay, we're going to notice one more thing about that noise. Did you feel an emotion? And I'll just list a few that might have come up. Shy, excited, embarrassed, angry, exhilarated, nervous, silly, exposed, Scared, proud. Okay, just notice it might not have been one I listed. And breathe. Okay, two more questions. Did you judge yourself positively, negatively, indifferent? Did you judge me, what I said or how I said it? Okay, let that go and breathe. So, I want you to notice one more thing. Just notice what you learned about yourself. Just notice one thing you learned. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I feel like I can talk to you forever about this. It's oh. extremely interesting. Oh, thank you. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's juicy. It's really interesting to have 
the model and where you're becoming so aware of everything you do that you're aware of your awareness and it it seems to break patterns and you're noticing the internal dialogue and you start asking the internal dialogue questions and the internal dialogue is asking the external dialogue questions and yeah it's just it's just really interesting of the the feedback you get from yourself when it's, someone invites you to look into that yeah it's yeah. true you might discover oh i had a feeling i didn't know mm-hmm. or oh you know i am hesitant or oh you know i do have some life in yeah. me or oh that is a pattern that other people are noticing that i've never noticed yeah you know it's a little scary mm-hmm. and it it's you know a vulnerable place also yeah. because when we see things about ourselves that we haven't seen before it shakes up the homeostasis it yeah. shakes up our idea of who we are yeah and that's scary because yeah. we get this fixed idea this is who i am and i'm comfortable and oh, these things are getting in my way. This is making contact hard with somebody else. This is making it hard for me to go after the things I really love in my life. Oh, but that doesn't mean it's easy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, emotions, there's these internally built things that we feel, and we call them emotions, and it's really interesting to dissect them a bit further to realize who we ultimately are. And how we can utilize emotion for self-healing or self-exploration. Also use emotion to develop as like a character. And as we grow up and become adults and like have families or kids or just relate to our families, it is through skillful emotion use that we can become the people that ultimately we're kind of like designed for, you know? Yeah, I think so. Because emotions are natural. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they are our vibrancy and our color. Yeah. And they're meant, we're not meant to hang on to them or they're meant to flow Mm -hmm. through us. So sometimes when we come up with it, oh man, I've been holding on to this emotion for a long time. Or these are the set of emotions I've carried around. Or these are the ones I think are me. Yeah. But they're all us. We just you you use the word skillful and that's yeah. so important because they're there. We can't mm-hmm. erase them. Mm-hmm. We don't need to judge them good or bad. Yeah. We just need to kind of work with them gently and skillfully. Yeah. It's so good. Thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. So that was Deborah Bowman at our podcast. She is a core faculty member of the Graduate School of Counseling and Psychology, teaching in the clinical mental health counseling and mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling programs. Such a mouthful right there. Yes. Really appreciate you. Thanks for speaking with us today. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.